Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and I'm really excited to speak with our guest today. She is known as a real-life death, death whisperer. What does that mean? Uh, while she was growing up in a Midwestern funeral home where her dad was an undertaker, she learned how to communicate with the deceased. And as a result, she received many valuable lessons about living one's best life. So she is also the author of Light in the Morning, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter. So if that isn't enough to get you on the edge of your seat, we're going to hear from the expert death whisperer herself, Margot Lindmark. Welcome to the podcast, Margot. Thank you so much, Hamza. It's wonderful to be here. Yes, yes. Thank you for making it. And before we get started, I'd like to talk about your website because it is uh, light in the morning, and it is a combination to me, a combination of a homophone and and a double entendre. So what was the impetus of the actual naming of the website, Light in the Morning? Well, because um, I think when people think of death, it's a very dark subject. You know, it's, it's, it's our saddest moments. It's our darkest times. And I have found through experiencing those darkest times, oh, boy, I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's the hardest times I think we go through. And by, from, experience, from my own experience, I have found light in that darkness and when we think of mourning mourning is very sad of course that's what that's the whole meaning of the word but i was hoping to offer light to people who are mourning um through the stories that i've told from people who have communicated with me after they've died mm-hmm. and where i saw it as a double entendre is there is light in the morning so after nighttime there is actual light and so Correct. as a, a play on words and also um, playing around with the English language because uh, as a homo, homophone right we're talking morning morning uh, there is that double meaning but it can kind of I think it at the end of the day we're talking about perception correct yeah yeah, I thought light in the morning was just a – my brother actually thought of that, and, and when he said it, I thought, what a beautiful title, um, because that's exactly the point of the book is to bring light to people's morning. And, and you know, so I, I, loved, I loved that uh, double meaning, even though it's spelled differently, but it's, I, I really think that was effective. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I had to go back to elementary school when we were learning homonyms and homophones. So it was like, yeah, okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, go, let's go back a long time ago because, um, as I mentioned in the intro, you, your father was an undertaker, and being a death whisperer to an outsider, that may sound like a, uh, you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> right. Well, it, no, and I'm definitely not. Uh, you know, when you read the book, you you realize how difficult these um, experiences were for me. But it was in that difficulty that I found the little gem. The difficulty meaning the, the deep sadness, you know, the emptiness that you feel when somebody dies. Um, so, no, I'm definitely not a glutton for that. 
at all. Um, and it, you know, I think it was just me being around death when I was young so much that it makes me comfortable with the subject. And I think a lot of people are not comfortable with the subject. It's a very um, uh, kind of a taboo in this country. And I think it's, we have so much of it now out in the open, on the news, everywhere, that I think it's really time to address the subject of death and really understand it better, which is the point of my book also. Um, but it was only when I got older that these experiences came to me, and it's nothing that I set out to learn. It just happened on its own. Um, you know, you can see how the experience and the revelations uh, happened to me uh, in the book. You know, when you read the book and you read the story, you see how how things were revealed to me from these people. So it's it's not even a learned thing. It's just something that happens, and I, I don't really have any control over it. Um, if somebody said to me, um, contact my dead brother, I, I, I couldn't do it necessarily. Maybe I could, but I... I it's not like a medium. It's not like a psychic. It's just, it's, um, it's almost like cognitive information that comes to me from people that have been close to me. Sure. And I, I did want to ask you if you saw that as a differentiation between uh, psychic phenomena or mediumship, uh, because my understanding in those uh, modalities is that you can actually, uh, to a learned person or a practice person, they can actually control it. And for others that can't control it, it becomes more of a movie where, you know, it's a horror movie or we're just laughing at all the hijinks because you have this interaction that you have no control over. Correct. And so that's why it's not a medium. It's not a psychic. It's this information came to me. I, I was in the depths of despair, if you will, you know, in the depths of the morning when um, either someone came to me or I somehow got a message from them or... Um, so that's why this literally this light came to me with this message and um, so no it's nothing I can control it's something that they obviously wanted me to know or to have and I can tell you that every single one of these messages changed how I lived my life because mm. when you get it on that level it is such a such a deep level of truth that it changes you you see differently after you have an experience like that. You can't help but be different. You can't um, go back to how you were <laughs> before you. You can't unlearn what you just what you just got from that person. It's very very profound. Oh, absolutely. And you know, there is the conversation of of the present moment, where 2020 is seen as as a perfect vision. And from an outsider perspective, there's a lot of melee. But like you said, we'll never go back based on the information that we currently have. Right. And it's that perfect vision that you're talking about. That, that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful way of saying it because I really, um, I, I see, I see into something. And um, so in that moment when, the, when that light comes or that message comes or knowledge or whatever it is, um, it's perfect vision at that time. That's a, that's, I love it, like what you said because that's exactly what it feels like. And I say in the beginning of the book that the only thing I know for sure is my own experience. I know that to be true. If somebody else tells me something, I have to discern whether I believe that or not. But the only thing I know for sure is from my own experience. And 
what's in my book is what I know for sure. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. all I know for sure. Everything else is just sort of, like you say, perception or um, discernment on something you've heard. You know, we hear a lot of things these days, and you have to kind of see where you stand on it, and, and it may change. But what doesn't change in me is when I've had a cognitive experience like this, it comes from some level of absolute truth that, that never changes. Um, so that 2020 vision is, 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 I think, perfect. I think it's just right on. But it doesn't last forever either. I mean, you, you don't have 2020 vision, I don't think, your whole life. If you do, you probably don't need to be on the planet because you're enlightened. <laughs> you see all, you know, and I think we're all here to, to learn to get to that 2020 vision. Oh, absolutely. And, and when we're saying that in the present moment, I agree with you that uh, there would be no no reason to be here in the third dimension. But we would also say 20, hindsight is 2020. And so with hindsight being 2020, I'd like to go back a little bit to uh, when you were younger and you were around your father as an undertaker. What What was your first experience like? Well, I don't remember the first experience because I was really young. You know, he always had the funeral home when we were growing up. And so, you know, I was probably one when I went into the funeral home the first time. But, but I do have a memory. We had clear memories of going there after school, after church. We'd, we'd stop into the funeral home to meet my dad to get a ride home. And so it became sort of a meeting place to, to, uh, for me and my friends to get a ride home. Um, and, and so my, and that's why I guess I'm really comfortable with it. And my experience of it is, it, it's just natural. It's easy to be around. I'm not sure if my friends had such an easy time. I think they were kind of uneasy a lot until they got used to it. But, um, so I don't know my, my first experiences really. Um, I know my experiences of my father as a funeral director. My my father had a countenance about him that was just. Um, saintly, I guess I could say. People really thought a lot of my father. He was very um, kind-hearted and and, uh, compassionate and soft-spoken and um, strong. And and when people died and went to talk to my father, they they were very relieved in speaking to him and um, just felt different when they they left. They came in grieving and felt... uh, I think a sense of hope and light when they left because he was very wise and wonderful to to talk to when someone died. So he was really in the right profession, and I, I remember that really well. I just remember the feeling of being around my father in the funeral home, and it was really wonderful. It wasn't just a job for him. He was it was dharmic. It was it was something he was supposed to do. Sure, and this is a little tongue-in-cheek question, but the English language is so tricky sometimes. You said when people died, they would come and speak with your father. So are you oh. saying that he was a dead, no. No. was he a dead whisperer also? Did I say that? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, their families would come to speak to my father. <laughs> Maybe he was, I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> sure. Well, I, you know, I, I love playing with the English language because, I mean, there's, I'm a big fan of etymology, and so, you know, I have an etymology dictionary that I look at from time to time. Of course, I'm a, a nerding out from that, and um, 
usually people that are uh, death whisperers or you know have these access to your extrasensory perception they may link it to lineage and uh, some some family members have it stronger than others and there may be an attraction to this light that children usually have that they may have these experiences and then it kind of goes away with adolescence but then it usually comes back you know when we have to learn our life lessons so i was just trying to make a connection in the, in the parallel well it's really interesting that you say that i'm just thinking right now that my father might have had those experiences and i'll tell you why when um jfk was assassinated i remember i was i was a little girl i was sitting on my we all got sent home from school i was sitting on my bed crying and um my dad came in and sat next to me put his arm around me and he said to me um he said he was soothing me and he said um margo um our president passed over with a very clear consciousness he's not suffering he had very clear awareness when he passed over and you know it's only now that i look back and think it and i was like i felt so much better when he told me that. Oh, good. You know, I was just a little girl, and I, I, I was really getting off on what he was telling me about the the killing of JFK and, and JFK's experience of it. And now, when I look back at that, I think, how did he know that? How do you know that he crossed over with very clear consciousness? How do you know that? So you know, maybe maybe so. Maybe he did, and maybe that's where I got that because I. It's only now that I wish I could bring him back and say, how did you know that? <laughs> but mm. I took the way he always spoke to me was like that. And I just took that kind of conversation for granted from him. He, he mm-hmm. also told me once that um, if we could know um, that the soul knows when it's going to die, and in six months before the person actually dies, um this the soul knows that and i'm i'm like how did he know that i mean in my book i i bring out a few uh points like that that he told me that i kind of took for granted and now i look back and i think how do you know that how did you know all that stuff you know i don't know that <laughs> stuff you know and so you, i mean what, now that you ask me that he he might have been for sure he might have been because he he said some things to me that i wonder now how he knew well, I, I think the, and thank you for that acknowledgement because when you said uh, the different, you get the different messages at different times. I would look at it as in reading a book so, or watching a movie. So my one of my favorite movies is when Harry met Sally, and yeah, the, the reason why I, the reason why I like it is they show the different areas or the different timelines in their life and how they perceive something. So if if I'm reading a book or I'm watching a movie and I get this message in 2020, but it's 2011, I have no reference. So I really can't even interpret the information that's coming to me at that time. It it would have to happen when I'm ready for it. Correct. That That's, that's absolutely right. And I, I, yeah. And, and you're talking about watching a movie, you know, I think, you know, I had somebody read my book for the third time, and they called me, and they said, oh, my God, I can't believe what's in there. They said they read it the first time just to kind of get the stories, and but that's not at all the point of my book. And, and I tell people in the very beginning, you know, just sink deep with me so you can get – because all the details lead to the gem. 
And, um, you know, the first time you read it, it's good and moving, I'm sure, to somebody. But, but, but they read it the second time or the third time, and they go, oh, my God, I can't believe what's in there. And I, I think that's the way life goes, is we, we do evolve. We do see things in a very different way as our consciousness grows. Um, there, there's a great analogy that, you know, my, my spiritual teacher growing up was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi because I'm a teacher of Transcendental Meditation and he was my teacher. And he gave this wonderful analogy where he talks about going into a building and taking the elevator up the building. Or, and he says, okay, so it's a glass elevator and you're looking out the first floor. You're looking out that window of the elevator and you, you know, ask somebody, what, what do you see? And they say, well, I see a tree trunk. And then you push the button and you go up to the fifth floor and you say, okay, now look out that same window. What do you see? And they say, well, I see this um, little park setting with a bench and some flowers, a little garden, pond, really nice. And they say, okay. And you go up to the tenth floor and you say, what do you see? And they say, they say well, I see this. Um, I see kind of a little edge of a meadow and then I see this big forest and it's beautiful. And then you go up to the twentieth floor and you say, what do you see? And they say, well, I see this huge ocean just this beautiful unbounded ocean don't see a thing except the ocean and you could say to one of those people okay look down do you see a tree (laughs) and you can look way down there and you can see a tree (laughs) yeah i guess that's a tree down there you know and to me that is the best analogy for how consciousness grows how everybody is right in what they see that's really mm-hmm. an interesting thing that everybody's perception is right because that's the floor they're on or that's what they see you, you can't say mm-hmm. they're wrong they're not you know <laughs> mm-hmm. that tree's down there but so is that unbounded ocean it's just that the person looking at the tree trunk can't see that ocean or that forest or that little park with the pond because the tree trunk is in the way yeah i guess the other the other name of that would be grace right so it's like you're trying to push somebody to see the whole tree when they can only see the trunk right yep right and and this is why i spent my whole life trying to uh raise the level of consciousness in people and that's what tm does and different types of meditation do but tm does it i think most effectively which is why i taught it but um you know when you transcend and you go to this this place of silence um it's beyond thought um when you come out of that you you are more expanded and um and that's why i love that analogy because you you really do when you're more expanded you see a bigger picture in things you know you see what's going on in the world and you can see it as like today it's insane what's happening in the world and you, you can see it as pure insanity on one level and another level you can see that things have to there's a certain level of destruction that has to happen and to get rid of the ignorance so that so that more light can come in and mm-hmm. we can live a, a more positive loving beautiful life you know more in tune with the laws of nature you know so <laughs> there's just different ways of looking at everything perception is really interesting absolutely and let's stay let's stay with that so uh with in the year 2020 a lot of people had to stay in place for obvious reasons and fortunately or unfortunately they tend to drink more and so uh, that person that drinks more may look at the glass half full or half empty right and so Mm -hmm. the reason why i'm asking that you had mentioned that the spirit knows six months before a person dies it's ready to make that transition should a person look at that as half full or half empty like oh no it's the end of what i know 
Well, I don't think, I think that's, that's the grace we have in life from God is that we don't know. The soul knows we don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's good that we don't know when that six month has, that we've got six months to live or, or something. I, I think it's actually good um, because we would, I don't know, I, I don't know what that would do to people to know. They might just, just drink and party the rest of their life and, and miss the whole point of their life. Or I, I, I don't know. That's, that's a really interesting question. But I don't think, I think the soul knows. I don't think the uh, body, if you will, or the mind or the, the human being um, that, that, uh, that uh, houses that soul, I don't think they necessarily know. Mm-hmm. Wait, but what, what did that about, answer your question? What was your question? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does and I want I want to play okay. with it a little bit more because okay, okay. Uh, well, ha- let's use some of the documentation that if a person knows from their body, right? They get a they get a mm-hmm. uh, the doctor says you have six months to live, right? Some people are like, oh, woe well, is me, but then another person may live another five years. They're like, wow, I've been really sitting on my duff, and now I want to do the things I want to do, you know, hence the bucket list and everything right. else. Right, right, right. And those people, I think, I, I think they keep living for a reason. They got that message for a reason because they were missing the point of their life. You know, as human beings, there's a point that there's a reason we're on this earth. And, it, I mean who can say for sure what it is i mean <laughs> but i i think we are here to evolve and and to to love more and to grow and to to just really um become enlightened to become this this be, live our full potential and so if somebody isn't and they've just been told they've got 6 months to live if they if they are the the glass half full type person they're going to jump on that and really take advantage of that. And I think because of that, they get rewarded and get to live longer. You know, mm-hmm. it's like God's going, great, good job. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you got on track, you know, because mm-hmm. I, you know, we're not here. I don't think to, to just, I know, I think we're here for a very deep reason. And I think the sooner we jump on that bandwagon and learn um, sort of the spiritual value of our, the inner value of our life and the importance of that and the importance of growing that and growing in our awareness and growing in every way, the better off we are. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go a little bit and give a shout out to your father um, because I want to talk about co-creating now. And so okay. earlier you mentioned, oh, wow, okay, my father may have had uh, this inklings because he shared these messages with me. And so from a co-creating standpoint, uh, you talked about John F. Kennedy. I'd like to give another shout-out to another president. But before I do, I want to give a acknowledgement to Edward Everett. And so many people don't know Edward Everett, but at that time when he was alive, he was the headliner. He was the guy who spoke for two hours with this wonderful speech that he had presented and everybody was all lined up for it. Yet he's a side note, a footnote to history. That same day, he only had a 20-minute presentation, and that was Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln's known for that four score seven years ago. And so did Edward know he was co-creating with uh, with abraham lincoln at that time that abraham lincoln's speech would be that phenomenal i really feel stupid but who's ever edward 
Yeah, Ooh, Everett, Edward, Everett. Everett. I don't know who that is. Yeah. He exactly, and most people don't. Uh, again, just my little nerd timing with the <laughs> with the etymology and Tell such. Me but your he was. I need to know. <laughs> oh no worries. But in 1863, he was the one that was actually he spoke before Abraham Lincoln did for the uh, Gettysburg Address, and he mm-hmm. was the headliner of that day. Right, so he was the all important one that everyone was waiting for. He spoke for two hours. <laughs> No one knows him, and he said that ultimately after Abraham Lincoln spoke, he said, you know, I wish I had come up with an idea to do in two hours what you did in two minutes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's that's great. Right, and the reason why I brought it up sometimes is I go to left field, but the reason why I bring it up in 2020 is co-creation again is uh, the travesty. I mean, obviously we're going to post this on YouTube, so some of these – some of the names I can't say so we don't get flagged, but what happened in Minneapolis was, of course, a travesty, but as a result, over the weekend, uh, the main street in Washington, D.C., by the White House is called Black Lives Matter Avenue now. Like, did they know they were co-creating for something bigger than themselves? And in many right, cases, I wanted right, to right, ask right. you that. I see yeah. what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I get what you're saying. Um, here's the thing. I think... I think yes. I think the souls know. Whether the consciousness of the person consciously knows, I don't know. But I think the souls know. I, I tell people this story. I, um, I use this, my own little analogy. I said, I, I think before we're born, we sit there. I think after we die, we go to this little review booth and we talk to God or whoever, the creator or whatever, whoever you think that is, and um, kind of review everything. And then, and then, you're you're sitting up there on this little cloud <laughs> and you're you're getting ready to come back into another lifetime and you're saying okay well who wants to be the um victim i will be okay who wants to be the murderer okay i'll be and who wants to do this and who wants to be the prosecutor i'm just using your minneapolis example and who wants to do this and who wants to do it i'll be that i'll be that i'll be the brother i'll be this i'll be the the protester i'll be you know and everybody goes okay so one, two, three, hold your nose and jump. And you jump off the cloud, you jump into this, into this lifetime, and here you are playing these roles. And that's on one kind of funny level, that's, that's what I, I think we're doing. And so I think we are all co-creators because certain events, which we won't name, have to happen in order to make big change. You know, it, it, to bring about awareness. I mean, you know, I was talking about raising a level of awareness and consciousness, and I did it through meditation. We're all doing it through watching what's going on or being out in the streets helping what's going on. That is really raising awareness. And that's kind of the whole point. Whole point. And, and some people I really feel maybe volunteered for, for different different um, roles to play to bring about great change. That, that's what I think. So I think we all are co-creators. I do. Sure. And while we're in the weeds, I, I just checked my hands, and I do have some dirt under my nails, so I'm just going to keep digging in the dirt here. With okay, this, you like uh, this, don't you? <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it. I do, too. I do, too. I do, too. <laughs> and the reason, I mean, there's a reason for everything. A, a good friend of mine says there's no accidents. And so right. the reason why I did bring up uh, Abraham Lincoln is, you know, he said 
why did he say four score and seven years ago? And it's known for people that, you know, that have dirt under their nails that he was into the order. And so what that meant, he was studying some of his uh, occultism, if you will, or, you know, information that's not usually kept amongst the masses. And so mm -hmm. uh, he's talking about a, a score, that's 20 years. And if we look at four, that's typically a, a four different quadrants of your life. And so as a intrinsic motivation from a homie's perspective, I hang out with the folks of the GOM gang, which is the Gallery of Magic gang. And they talk about the quadrant, and the bottom quadrant usually refers to the temporary death of self that occurs when you feel that you're all, you're you're your own person, you're not a part of the grand scheme of things. And so I I was really excited to share that with you because as a death whisperer and a teacher of transcendental meditation, I didn't know how much it was more a natural talent versus training. Um, to access your sense, your other sensibilities. Um, it's 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 not training as much. Um, I mean, the, the training was in meditation. I did get trained in that, and, and but it's a, it's so simple. There's almost no training. I mean, it's a very, it's a it's uh, it, it's really a natural technique. And um, I believe I believe that when I did the one two three jump, I came into this life with a certain type of awareness because I remember being really young, like I don't know five or six or seven or. Some young age, and people would come to talk to me about things, and I would literally see what was going on, and I'd tell them, and they'd run home and you know tell their mom or something, you know. But I I, I could see things like that at a very young age, and so I I think for me it's 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 a natural ability that I kind of came in with, and then the meditation. Um, I think really sped up that ability a lot because when you transcend and you you consciously bring your awareness to a bigger level, you, you can't help but encompass some of those things. I think. I mean, what I mean is you can't help but develop those abilities that you have even more, and so mm -hmm. I think that really enhanced it for me. And, and sure. Go ahead. No, um, I like what you're saying and. You know, we're, I'm just going back to March since we are now at the first week of June, and a lot of people were put into that place of silence, but that half full, half empty, a lot of people went crazy with that silence. They weren't – it may have been the first time in many people's lives that they were forced to actually look at their inner thoughts, and they were so used to uh, weapons of distraction or mass distraction that it was a scary yeah. time for them. And if we yeah. go back to that in this fall, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. But if we do, uh, are there lessons learned that would make an easier transition to being comfortable in that place of silence? Yeah, hopefully. You know, I, I, w I was talking to a lot of my friends about that, saying, boy, this is so easy for me. I've, I've experienced silence so much in my life, and even though I'm really outgoing, um, silence is very easy for me. So this... This uh, downtime was just fantastic for me. I loved it, <laughs> but I knew a lot of people didn't. But I think once you experience it, and you know, I think the people who aren't used to it go a little bit crazy, like you're talking about. It just makes them a little bit insane because they they're uncomfortable with silence. But now I think after going through it once, I think they will feel more comfortable because you have to adjust. You know, the the human. The human psyche is very flexible, and so 
you know, it can resist change. It can go crazy over having to be silent because it's not used to it. And it it's, you're faced with yourself, <laughs> and that's scary sometimes. Um, but, but it's also very flexible, and it is meant to go into the direction of more silence, more awareness, more expansion. And so times like that can't help but make people more like that. So I think, um, I think it was just a natural forget progression to get people to just sort of stop reflect i know you don't want to do it but do it <laughs> and so i think it'll be more comfortable next time for most people mm -hmm. who knows well that's what I, think. I want to ask you especially with your father being an undertaker there's what is it five or six stages of grief and mm -hmm. some of it is anger and acceptance do you think universally or i can't say universally i think because the u.s is a it's a different nugget from the rest of the world and i know people outside the u.s come they say that's obnoxious of us but we're going through something different different i feel than the rest of the world uh do, do you think we're going through that five stages of grief to get to getting beyond thought well Boy, that's a tough question. First of all, I'm not even really necessarily aware of the five. I'm aware that there are all these stages of grief. I've never read books about that much. You know, I know that there's there's big people out there that are known for their, um, you know, their theories and their knowledge and experiments and everything on, on grieving. Um, mine, mine comes from my own experience, and so I know that there's there's different stages and there's there's I don't know that it necessarily follows a pattern I think everybody's very different and and the patterns might get a little mixed up or something I don't know I can't I can't, I can't talk on that because I'm not an expert in in kind of methodology of grieving um, I just know sort of the mechanics of what people go through but mm -hmm. um, yeah I, I think I think America is really really coming face to face and I think the grieving is really making people do it because well here's what happens when you grieve no matter what the stage you're in grieving brings you into your heart so deeply there is nothing that brings you into your heart like grieving and um, I had this experience once when I was grieving I was actually grieving the, the loss of a relationship and I would sit and meditate and every time I sat and meditate I would experience this place in my heart there's a spot I can point right to it right now where that grief came from and what happened is after several weeks of just just experiencing that grief in that spot I also experienced other emotions then after a few weeks I experienced kind of joy or I experienced this or that and then grief and then anger and then grief and then this and then that and then I realized I sat down to meditate once and I I realized that all emotion comes from that one spot in the heart, all emotion, because every single emotion I experienced during that came from that same spot in the heart. And so I realized what I call God in the heart, because everything came from that one spot. And when I realized God in the heart, I also realized what wasn't God. And I realized that to the degree of ego we live is the degree of God we don't live. Hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of people walking around with a lot of spiritual ego. And you don't expect mm -hmm. spiritual ego in a spiritual organization. But, yeah, there's, there's every kind of ego, including spiritual. And mm -hmm. so when I had that experience, something really shifted in me. 
and I realized the importance of being in the heart, and I realized the importance of grieving because it puts you right there where that spot in the heart is where all of your emotions come from. So in my perception, it brings you right to God. Now, some people may not believe in God, and that's fine. Whatever, whatever they believe in, it brings you to that. But, um, but the, the grief is really universal, and it brings you to that place. And when you're grieving, you're so much kinder to people, usually. You know, somebody comes up to you, and you feel so much compassion for them. And, you know, it's, it's really something. Grieving is really something, and it's really important to go through the grieving process because it really enriches you if you, let, if you allow yourself to really, really grieve. Not to dwell on it, but just to, when you feel it, go through it. And then when you don't feel it, don't, don't try to hold on to it. Don't try to, don't try to be sad about people passing you you know so yes america is in a huge transformation right now and and it's i i really believe that it's going to bring us out into into a whole nother playing field which would be so much better than we've been in sure and i I do have to ask that two-part question Uh, when you were talking about grieving the loss of a relationship it brings me back to that co-creation and you mentioned being on that cloud in that pre-meeting and in that meeting uh, you have set up these relationships with people and they're the ones Mm -hmm. that know you so well and they get under your skin so much that it can raise you to the highest heights or bring you to the lowest lows but right uh, spiritually it seems like that's that's the relationship that is giving you that life tool to learn Uh, you might not like them in human form (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but on some level, you appreciate the interchange that you two had. What do you have to say to exactly, that? Exactly. And in fact, I wrote him a letter, and I thanked him for a love so deep that brought me into, uh, in, so deeply into my heart, that brought me uh, into my heart where I so desperately needed to be. And um, so I really thanked him for that it, because it was, it was pretty life-changing when I realized uh, what I was experiencing as a result of that. Then I cleaned out my, my um, office right after that, and I found I had these kind of spiritual poems and sayings and things like that, and I found this folder. And in it there was, um, there was something from, I think it was the Upanishads, and, and it said, oh, gosh, <laughs> oh, darn, I should. You know, as we talking about this, I would have looked it up. But something about um, in the middle of the... Uh, in the heart, oh gosh, I can't remember, but something about in the heart there is a small space and you should want to know who resides there. And mm. I, I read that and I went, oh my God, that was my experience. So, so then I Xeroxed that off and sent it to him without a word. I just, you know, that was, it was just so good you know, to realize that that really is God in the heart, you know, at least according to the Upanishads, you know, sure. that was my experience for sure. It was really powerful. Well, let me ask you this with, uh, I mean, thank you for playing with me for this relationship because I know that was a, a, a big moment for you. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing that with, sure. with, with the audience. Oh yeah. I'm I, happy I, have, to. I have to ask you with, with that relationship and being a death whisperer, did Auntie so and so or another family member or someone close to you come to you to give you solace, uh, maybe afterwards, or give you uh, any indication of what you were about to go through before you met this person? 
No, nope, not at all. No, it's just that when I met the person, I just knew we were going to be together, and we were. And um, you know, for, it was it was it was a three year relationship. It wasn't like a lifelong relationship or something, but it was one of those really deep ones. And and so the, so the separation of that was like a death. You know, it was a death of sorts, and really, um, you know, had a powerful effect. Just like when somebody dies, it has a powerful effect because it's the same kind of mechanics. It, it, it is the same mechanics, only that uh, when somebody actually does physically die, it's not just a relationship where you're both still alive, but just not together. When somebody does actually die, it is so final; you, you can't go back to that person. Like this person, I could I could write that letter, and this person I could send that quote to, and I could I could resolve it, and it was really felt fulfilling to do that. Um, but when someone dies, you don't have that opportunity. It is final. It is gone. They are gone. And so that's why one of the chapters in my book is about resolving before they go, because um, it, it'll just drive you insane if you don't, because <laughs> you can't go back to them unless you're like me and they come to you. <laughs> right. It, that's why I was looking at the light in the morning, because um, you've experienced the transcendence, right? Pun intended. Right. Um, with, and so for those that don't, they think it's final. And so for you not doing that, for a, for an example, I one of my sisters had transitioned a couple of years ago. And when I say there's no accidents, what, uh, this next part was really helpful for me. So years prior, another friend of mine, she had a death in the family. And, you know, she, it was a son. And so when her son died, of course, you know, she's going through those five stages we were talking about earlier. But when he would come to her, she was so overcome with grief at the time. He was like, I can't, I can't even be at that vibration. Like, you need to pick your vibration up if you want, to be, want me to be around. And so over time, she realized that. So she's happy. She, anything, smell on a flower or something, he would come around. She's like, oh, I get it. It's a higher vibration. I need to be on that. I, you won't come down to my low vibration. And that helped me when my sister had transitioned. Of course, I was going through the grief. And I'm not saying every human should not go through that. You're going to go through that. But to mm -hmm. keep that interaction, it seems to me as a death whisperer, you're vibrating at a different uh, energy level that you can have these communications. Exactly. That's exactly right. You know, and, and, and that's also the point of my book is, is um, there's lots of points, but one of them is, um, when people transition, when they pass on, they, they are fine. I mean, they literally soar, you know, into this, into this higher vibration and leaving the people absolutely devastated. And, 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 and that's the point, you know, that's why it's so hard for those left behind because we're the ones that are hurting, not the person that's gone. They are fine. So, I think there is a time period when that person that soars off is also going through a little bit of a transition. Um, I've heard 10 days, and, and I believe that. And then after the 10 days, they're more present. And that's why um, you should wait and do a funeral or a memorial service uh, 10 days, wait 10 days, because that person will be more present with you. And um, so they're going through their own transition, but but in a very um, high level. And you're going through your really deep grieving at a different level. But then at some point, um, y yeah, in order to really 
be with them, you have to come to a higher vibration. And that's another reason I wrote the book is so people could realize that, realize that death is not dead. <laughs> that, you know, it's, they're not dead. They are very alive. And it's the very last words I say in my book because um, I learned that. And I learned that because I, I talked to them afterward. And, you know, wouldn't we all just love it if in an ideal world, the way we would deal with, the way we would have God do this <laughs> is we would have somebody die and then say maybe a month later you got to go see that person just even for five minutes, you know, just to find out how they are and what they're doing and just have one more communication, you know. You, you would be so at peace if we could do it that way, but it's not, it's just not set up that way. It's not set up that way because we're supposed to, I wish it were because, oh, my God, you know, then it wouldn't then it would just be like somebody moving out of town and you call them and say, Hey, how is it? You know, but we are meant to grieve. We are meant to go through deep pain in the heart. And I believe it's to bring us to God and and to open that heart. It's just to break our hearts open in love. And that's why I think we're here. Otherwise we would do, otherwise God would have done that. (laughs) Where are you? Oh, I'm, I'm over here on this, on this dimension. I'm doing great. I'm, you know, baking cookies or whatever it is, you know. Wow. Thanks for sharing that because I always learn something new with whomever I speak with. And when you said that wait the 10 days, I'm going to immediately look at, like, etymology and where did that come from. Or let me ask you, where did you hear it was 10 and not 20 or three years? Um, I heard that from somebody who I kind of trust, um, I, I, that was, that didn't come from my own knowledge. It was, it just came from somebody I, I trust. And I thought, so here, here's how I, it turned out that I kind of verified it and, and let me know. I mean, I, I hope you let me know when you study this, where that mm-hmm. came from and if it is true, but here's what I experienced. Um, in one of the deaths and it's one of the chapters in my book, a good friend of mine died and, and I had heard that about the 10 days. So I said to his uh, girlfriend, I said, let's do the memorial service this day so that, so that we, we passed the 10 days. So we did. And I'm telling you, no, we'd already done the memorial service, and so we did another, we need, did another dinner. And uh, we celebrated again on the 10th day. And I'm telling you, he was there. It was really interesting. And he kept kind of communicating to me, and it was, it was, it was just wonderful. It, um, a, a literal miracle happened. And what it was, <laughs> it's just so funny, um, the, the host of... The girlfriend, you know, there's, I think, 15 people for dinner. And um, there was a long table. I was sitting at this long table with, I think, 10 people. And then there's five people in the kitchen at a smaller table. And, um, you know, I knew Tom really well, so they were asking me to tell stories. And we were all telling stories, and I was telling a lot of them. And um, the host came out, and she was, okay, well, Deborah brought a pie. And so it was a small, like, apple pie. And there was 15 people, and this, this served like six or maybe eight, I can't remember, but it was a small pie. And all of us at our table looked at each other. She put, the, she put the plates down, she put the pie down, and we all looked at each other, and we all said to each other, we're not having pie, I'm not having pie, I'm not having So we all knew that the pie was going into the kitchen because <laughs> they didn't know how small the pie was. And so Deborah and I, De- Deborah was cutting it, I was putting on the plate, and we were passing it down and cutting it, putting it on a plate and passing it down. And... Um, at one point, you know, we were all still telling stories and everything like that. 
and um, we heard this noise from the kitchen, and it's a, a voice said, "Okay, we got pie." And we looked huh. around, and everybody had pie. There was a, there was still a big piece that you could cut in half for Deborah and me. And Deborah and I looked at each other, and we went, "Loaves and fishes." And this is really interesting because we were we the the people the immediate people around us just went, "Oh my god we 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 literally couldn't believe it. Somebody came out and said, "Oh wow, somebody came from the kitchen and she said, "Oh wow, it was a miracle pie, you know, and she kind of made a joke about it, and I, this was a miracle, so somebody kept you know somebody said, "Hey, Margo, tell us that one story about Tom, and I started to talk, and I just started laughing. I said, you guys, do you realize we all got pie? I mean, do you see this? We were just absolutely just blown away. And then I realized how miracles take place. You know, we were all distracted telling stories and cutting pie and passing it on without even thinking about it and not even really looking too much at the pie, just cutting it and passing it and talking and laughing and telling stories. And in the midst of our all that conversation, that I don't know what happened. We all got pie. I, I remember calling Deborah that night and, and laughing so hard, leaving a message. I could hardly talk. I said, Deborah, did the pie keep growing back? Did, <laughs> did each piece grow back? Did, did we serve the whole pie and then another one appear? Where did the pie come from? We, oh, my God. It was just one of those really, it sounds probably really crazy talking about it, but, oh, my God, for the people that were there, we, we were just blown away. And Tom was up there. And he, he had this stuff in his hands, kind of like clouds, but a little bit heavier. And he was just throwing it up in the air as if to say, there's plenty. There's always mm-hmm. enough. And it, it was really something. But that happened the 10th day. <laughs> That's why I was telling you that story, because it's, it certainly seemed to verify something for me. So I would really like to know what you find out about the 10th day. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I, thank you for sharing that. Uh, because and I will share with you. I'm not sure if you know, but uh, again, this is a big nerd thing. But uh, with the etym- etymology, right? That's the origin of things. And so, most people didn't know that. And just to be topical, not we don't usually talk politics or anything on on this podcast. But for no uh, for March, when the president said that we're going to open for Easter, it was actually 40 days. Uh, when they acknowledged the the uh, pandemic or stay in place, and the origin of coronavirus, or I'm sorry, the origin of quarantine is actually 40 days. So in many respects, the 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 general public doesn't know like these inner symbolisms that are happening, and that's why you know I'm happy to speak with you, and that's why I wanted to share with what you said with your father. Uh, with John F. Kennedy and, and to give that story of Abraham Lincoln, there's there's all of all of these sub stories beyond just what the media is sharing with us. If you get your oh, nails dirty, that's so interesting that you say that. No, I think that's really interesting because I think there's the life we live. Like I'm in my living room right now, looking at my garden, talking to you, blah blah blah. And then there's something else going on on another level that we don't see, you know. And yeah. so yeah, I I agree. I think I think life is in layers. And the more layers we can see, we develop this kind of prismatic awareness about life, you know, and I think, I think that's the point, <laughs> you know, is just to see all the layers and how they're connected. And we'll never, 
I, I, I don't know if you can ever get it all, but, but it's, it's really fascinating. Just even what you said, that 40 days, that's very fascinating just on some level. It's, I, I find it really interesting, you know. Sure, sure. Now I have to ask you about a cartoon, and I want to get your opinion. So uh, in the movie Coco, have you seen Coco? Um, gosh, I think I did a long time ago. Yeah, sure. I did. It's like two or three years ago. I mean, they won Oscar yeah. and all that. But the premise was, if you don't acknowledge, well, you know, as a step back, stepping back for a second, it wasn't the, the it wasn't in the U.S. So they were dealing with, uh, I think, Latin Americans, and in, in Latin America, they do have relationships once someone transitions, so they're okay with that. And the, the premise was if you don't keep their names active, then they kind of go away. And right. I, I wanted to share my brief story when I was, like a lot of Americans, I'll say, um, getting their nails dirty about their family tree. And mm-hmm. once I started, I started getting these, these conversations with people that I didn't recognize, but it was just more of an acknowledgement, like, hey, thanks for – you know, looking out for us, I'm so-and-so, and I was just, like, asking family members, do you know so-and-so and so-and-so? So I wanted to ask, have, in your being a death whisperer, did, once you started getting these uh, communications, were you going down in lineage, or have you been able to, or have they been able to make themselves known to you? No, I mean, no, because it wasn't like that with me. With me, it's, it's so far been all people that I knew. Um, okay. people that were close to me that that's that's where they whispered to me so um no i, I think that would yeah I, I don't know what what category that would be and if that would be a medium or you know i, I don't know but no that that hasn't been my experience but it's interesting that you bring this up about remembering names or because um there's a saying that i believe and it's um when do people when does one die? Or I think the question is, when does someone die? When they are forgotten. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful because people live in our hearts. And I found that from grieving, the mechanics of grieving that I know is this. You know, when you're grieving somebody, you know, you're, you, you find people staring off into space, you know, or just staring off, reliving memories of that person. And as they relive that memory and then the next memory and then they stare off again and they relive that memory, they're incorporating that person into their heart. And that's why I think grieving is really important because you, you do relive, relive memories and, and they, you put them in a place in your heart. And that's where that person stays with you eternally. And that is your connection to the divine. You, you have incorporated that person through your grieving and through your memories and everything into your heart, and that's where they stay forever. And that is that connection to them and the divine once that, once that whole grieving process has taken place and they're fully incorporated. And I think that's the purpose of breathing and that's, I mean, I'm sorry, grieving and breathing. (laughs) 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 You're really fun to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, that's the purpose of grieving, and that's how you keep someone alive. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, interesting. 
Do you have Amazon Prime? Yes. Or Okay. And the reason why I'm asking, because uh, uh, I know we're getting close to the top of the hour, I wanted to know if you have heard or watched the TV show Upload. No. Okay. So it's a comedy, so um, it's been out for maybe a month or so. And I like what you said uh, just recently about the connection with the divine, because you're, what we were saying is since we don't know, you know, if it's a 7 or 10, or we don't, there's no protocol, right? Like, just wait 10 days and we'll be able to continue to see them mowing the lawn or something. This, the show's premise is you can go the old school route and not know, or you can upload your consciousness to, let's say, a server. And so you're, you're following up with people, and, and then it gets into a whole, like, you know, how good is your credit? Because, like, if you want an extra pillow on the cloud, that's, like, three extra dollars and things like that. And I, 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 tongue-in-cheek, of course, but I think the premise is because uh, there, there may be, to some people, that lack of a connection to a divine. It makes us feel comfortable that we can stay in touch with people when they transcend. So oh, is that ever it. interesting? Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I'll have to watch that. I think I would really enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like up in the air. I think you may appreciate it. Some people don't like it just because you're talking about death, right? And yeah. you know, some people don't want to approach that. But I think you, it may be something you would appreciate. <laughs> yeah, I think, no, I think I would. I, I'm glad you told me about that. I'm, 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 I'm all in on that concept. <laughs> Yeah, and that's why I just want to keep expanding and and get that that huge awareness so that I can I can more um, consistently just know what's going on with with everybody when they go. I wish I could tell everybody. Maybe I can. I don't know. Maybe 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 I have that ability and don't know it yet. You know, for everybody, I I, I have no idea. But so far, it's just been for myself, and it's so comforting and it has comforted so many people to read these stories because they realize when I'm telling them that they're very real and they, they can relate to it and they know then that someone's still alive and, and they really get something from that and, and that's why I wrote it so people could get vicariously through me um, what the reality of life and death is you know it's important for our own sanity and <laughs> peace of mind and peace of heart Oh, absolutely. And for the year 2020 and beyond, I mean, if this is a perfect vision, uh, we should be happy from a perception standpoint uh, or from the expectation of what 2021 and beyond will bring to us. But to get to the first step, we'd have to start getting learning more about our awareness. And learning more about our awareness would lead us to your website and your book. So if you can tell us about how uh, they can get your book and your site and how they can get in touch with you, that'd be phenomenal. Wonderful. Thank you. Yes, um, they can actually get my book on Amazon, um, Light in the Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter. Make sure you get the memoirs because there's two lights in the morning, <laughs> I found out. But, um, so Light in the Morning, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter, and it's the messages and, and how they came to me um, and what they were. And, um, and every single message changed how I live my life. And, and if people can really get the, you know, go through that with me in the book, I, I think they will really be in, their life will be enhanced like mine was from these people who have passed. So Absolutely. Light in the Morning, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter on Amazon. 
And with that, you have been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza and Margot. It was definitely a pleasure. Let's stay in touch. Let's definitely. It was really nice to speak to you, Hamza. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. Bye.